Hi, welcome to episode eight of the Health Investment Podcast. I don't want to spend too much time on this intro because I have a lot to say today. I probably spent a good 10 hours researching and drafting this episode, so I hope you find it useful. Before we get to it, I want to quickly share a five-star Apple podcast review. LBK225 wrote, Health Pod Gone Right. The Health Investment Podcast is just what the doctor ordered. Brooke is seamlessly translating the lessons, tips, and tricks from her blog into a podcast that's funny and accessible. Her message is one we can all relate to. Find a way to get out of the yo-yo and adopt a lifestyle change that will work for good. Can't wait to hear what else she has in store. Thank you so much for your kind words, LBK225. If you haven't had time to write a review yet, please know that each one means the world to me. It feels very weird typing up the scripts and recording by myself, so I'd love to hear what you have to say. Okay, on to episode eight, intermittent fasting, fad or friend. You know I hate fads, yo-yo dieting, and short-term results, so let's find out if intermittent fasting falls into the thumbs up or thumbs down category. One thing I want to say before we get started is that I am not a doctor and I am not advising you to fast or not to fast. I'm actually never advising you to do anything. My goal in this episode, and in all episodes, is to simplify different topics surrounding weight loss and wellness so that you can make informed choices for yourself, with the guidance of your doctor, of course. All right, let's get right to it. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing, you deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing, there are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm gonna share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness because I wanna help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. So to start off, in a podcast all about intermittent fasting, we should first define exactly what that is. Intermittent fasting is basically fasting intermittently. Surprising, right? The purpose is to give the body a break from digesting food because when it has a break from digestion, it can do other cool things, which we'll get to. Sometimes on social media, it's abbreviated IF or hashtag IF is very common. And sometimes it's called time-restricted eating. But all of these terms mean the same thing, giving your body a break from digesting calories so that it can focus on other important processes. Because when you think about it, if you're always eating food, your body is always needing to snap into digestion mode. Now, you may be thinking, I thought I was supposed to eat every few hours. That's what I've always been taught. When I first learned about intermittent fasting a few years ago, that was my exact thought as well. But then I did a lot of research and read many statements by experts. Where did we get that idea that we need to eat all the time? Think about it. Where did that notion actually come from? The food industry certainly does not profit from us skipping meals, right? 
I mean, imagine if everyone in the world started skipping breakfast. Cereal would probably become obsolete. So big food has definitely had a hand in convincing us that we need to eat often. And so have different diets and fads throughout the ages. I remember reading somewhere that I needed to eat immediately when I woke up to jumpstart my metabolism. So when I was trying to lose weight in my 20s, that's exactly what I did. But as you're going to find out, emerging research suggests that there are actually amazing benefits to skipping a meal on the front or back end of any day. Just like with any other health concept we've previously believed to be true, it's important to allow ourselves to challenge pre-existing notions and make room for new ideas. Another question you may be asking is, is intermittent fasting just another fad? As you know, I'm extremely anti-fad diet and just anti-health fads in general, but I get this question a lot. We all know the fads out there that come and go. They come in all shapes and sizes, diets, workout routines, juice cleanses, the list goes on. And some cycle back after several years have passed, just under a different name. For example, the Atkins diet of the 90s and early 2000s shares a lot of the same principles with what we call the keto diet today. They're both low-carb, high-fat diets, and they're both pretty restrictive and tough for many people to follow long-term. Will keto stick around longer than Atkins did? Who knows? But the point is that we're all used to these things cycling in and out. The reason I'd say intermittent fasting is not a fad is that it's based on the cyclical nature of eating that our ancestors had no choice but to follow, meaning it's been around way longer than we have. Since food has never been more processed and more readily available than it is in this very moment, it obviously wasn't always available 24-7. I mean, now we can literally tap a few buttons on our phones and food will show up on our doorstep in under an hour. It's crazy accessible. But is having all of this food right at our fingertips actually good for our health? Even though our great-great-grandparents could access food more easily than cavemen, it still wasn't as easy to eat as food is now. Our great-great-grandparents would have to chop, boil, cook, bake. They'd have to spend time making food actually palatable. They couldn't just grab a bag of Fritos from the cupboard or press a button to have Uber Eats deliver Chinese in 30 minutes. So again, no, I don't think intermittent fasting should be viewed as a fad, even though it is a hot hashtag and topic right now. I especially don't think it should be viewed as a fad since it boasts so many amazing health benefits. So let's dive into those right now. Earlier, I briefly mentioned that giving your body a break from digesting allows it to focus on other cool processes. So what exactly are those things it can do when it's not digesting? For this portion, I turn to Mark Matson, the current chief of the Laboratory of Neurosciences at the National Institute on Aging. He's also a professor of neuroscience at the Johns Hopkins University. I first heard Matson on Dave Asprey's Bulletproof podcast, episode number 634, if you want to check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Dave Asprey calls Matson the godfather of intermittent fasting, which is why I was intrigued. That episode was actually my inspiration for this episode because the information was so valuable, but it was still a little too technical for me. As you know, I like to break things down into the simplest format possible so that losing weight and getting healthy isn't so daunting for you. 
But if you like hearing the more technical side of things, definitely check out that episode on the Bulletproof podcast. I'll also put a link to Mark Matson's TED Talk in the show notes, which is what I'm about to summarize. It has over 3.5 million views, and it's only about 16 minutes long, so I highly recommend checking it out. But again, it gets pretty technical, which is why I'm going to simplify it here. In his TED Talk, Matson breaks down the benefits of fasting, namely how it boosts brain power. These are his key points. First, he notes that by 2050, the number of people with Alzheimer's will likely be triple what it is today, which is terrifying. Apparently, researchers have known for a long time that one way to increase the lifespan of lab animals up to 40% is to reduce their energy intake. By reducing energy intake, they can actually slow down the progression of these age-related neurodegenerative conditions. There are two ways to reduce energy intake. One way is to eat less at each meal. Another way is to fast or to intermittently fast. The problem with eating less at each meal is that when you continually eat throughout the day, probably three square meals and snacks, your energy metabolism doesn't get a chance to shift into fat-burning mode because your body is always focused on digesting. The body can shift into fat-burning mode when it goes through periods of fasting. So that's why intermittent fasting is Matson's preferred method of reducing energy intake. At minute 440 of his TED Talk, Matson projects an image of the positive effects of fasting on the blood, liver, intestines, heart, brain, fat cells, and muscles. Again, I'll link his TED Talk in the show notes if you want to check this out. If you want me to just break it down for you, here I go. Basically, intermittent fasting reduces inflammation and oxidative stress. Both can lead to a vast number of diseases over time. When you engage in periods of fasting, your energy metabolism shifts, which basically means it switches into fat-burning mode. To make that idea even simpler, when you fast, your body can actually eat up any stored fat. The reason this is game-changing is because being overweight is a risk factor for type 2 diabetes, certain cancers, and more. Also, emerging evidence suggests it's a risk factor for age-related cognitive impairment. Whenever you eat, your body breaks down most carbohydrates and converts them to a type of sugar called glucose. When the body doesn't need to use the glucose for energy, it stores it in the liver and muscles. This stored form of glucose is made up of many connected glucose molecules and is called glycogen. Your body will always tap into its glycogen stores before it taps into its fat stores. In fact, it can take 10 to 12 hours for your body to deplete the glycogen stores in your liver. See where I'm going with this? Or I guess Matson in his TED Talk is going with this? If you eat three times a day and snack in between meals, you never give your body the chance to switch into fat-burning mode because it's always working to deplete the glycogen stores. At this point in the TED Talk, Matson notes one caveat. If you exercise, you burn up the glycogen stores more quickly. But still, you're likely eating shortly after exercising, so more glycogen. Once your glycogen stores are fully depleted, which is what happens during a fast that's 10 or 12 or more hours, you start burning fat and producing ketones. 
You know the keto diet? The word keto comes from the word ketogenic. Ketogenic diets allow your body to enter into ketosis and produce ketones. That was a tongue twister. Ketones are very good for your brain because they're an energy source for neurons. In fact, people have been using a ketogenic diet as a treatment for epilepsy since Roman times. And even today, a ketogenic diet is often used to treat people with epilepsy. If you decide to watch Matson's TED Talk, at this point, it's only minute 726. He says a lot in a small amount of time. And at this minute, it starts to get really technical. He explains more specifically about how fasting positively impacts brain health. But my four non-technical takeaways from the ending of the video were, one, fasting is essentially a challenge for your brain. And it's great to challenge your brain in the same way it's good to challenge your body and muscles at the gym because your brain responds and adapts. Two, evolutionarily, we wouldn't have been able to survive if we couldn't be high-functioning in a fasted state, which is a really interesting point, but I nerd out on evolutionary facts like that. Three, fasting is both a physical and psychological challenge. Again, like vigorous exercise. Both fasting and intense exercise increase proteins in the brain known as neurotrophic factors, two of which are BDNF and FGF. You may have heard of those before. Four, fasting increases the ability of neurons to cope with stress and resist disease. So that was a lot, and at times it got more technical than I hoped. But basically, the bottom line is that current research suggests that fasting is freaking awesome. Now that you know all of that and can impress your friends at dinner parties, it's important to note that there are different types of fasting. Some people opt for longer fasts, like a 48-hour fast once a month or a two-week fast once a year. During these longer fasts, some people only drink water. Some have other liquids like tea and bone broth. And in some versions, you can even eat fewer than 600 calories at different points throughout. The research and data on fasting out there is extensive. So again, experts have varying opinions on whether you should drink tea or bone broth or only water. Dr. Walter Longo is one of the experts, and he even developed what's known as a fasting-mimicking diet, which I'll link in the show notes. In his diet, you eat small meals that his company supplies over the course of five days. But the meals have been carefully constructed so that you never throw yourself out of the fasting state. You still get the benefits of a long fast without sticking to only liquids, which some people find helpful. I've never done any of the aforementioned longer fasts. I've only tried intermittent fasting. Popular versions of intermittent fasting are the 16-8 pattern, which I loosely follow. This means you consume little to no calories for 16 hours and you fit all of your food and high-calorie beverages into an 8-hour window. The 5-2 pattern is another form where people eat regularly 5 days a week and fast for 2 days. And even another version is alternate day fasting where people eat regularly every other day and fast every other day. For me, the 5-2 pattern and alternate day fasting are too complicated. For sustainability, I don't want fasting to get in the way of the normal rhythm of my life, 
So fasting for full 24-hour periods isn't something I'm ready to try right now. As I said, I generally play around with the 16-8 version, meaning I fast for about 16 hours each day and eat and drink my calories in an 8-hour window. During my fast, I don't consume any calories except black coffee. Some experts suggest that you can consume up to 50 calories during your fasting window and still reap the same benefits. I stick to black coffee just to be safe. Specifically, I drink cold brew coffee. My husband Thomas and I have become obsessed with cold brew because it's much less bitter than hot coffee, and you can quote-unquote sweeten it with spices, like cinnamon sticks, so you get a sweeter taste without adding any real sweetener. I could go on and on about cold brew coffee, but I won't, not in this episode at least. I will link our recipe for cold brew coffee in the show notes, though, because it's super easy to make, and it's really been a game changer for us when it comes to intermittent fasting. When I first started intermittent fasting a couple of years ago, I was pretty strict about it. If I stopped consuming calories at 8 p.m., I'd count ahead 16 hours and tell myself, you can't eat until 12 p.m. tomorrow. Not surprisingly, this kind of sucked, and it wasn't sustainable. When I was being more strict about it, fasting essentially turned into the fads I'd tried in the past, like calorie counting and juice cleansing. Then I eased up a bit. Now I've eased up a lot. I'm not super strict about my fasting window because I've developed a good rhythm. The strictness at first probably helped me to do this, so it may help you too. But know that to keep the practice sustainable, you'll probably need to ease up at some point as well. Now I fast most days but some days I don't, and I don't ever worry about it. Also, the length of my fasting periods varies. I really base it around how I'm feeling. So if I'm on vacation and everyone is going to breakfast, I'll eat. But the funny thing about fasting is that my body has really gotten used to it, and a lot of other people say the same thing. I feel so great not eating breakfast now that eating early in the morning is actually a challenge. So my current rhythm is pretty much... Stop consuming calories around 8 or 9 each night. Drink black cold brew when I wake up in the morning, usually one glass, sometimes two, and wait until 11, 12, or 1 every day to eat. Basically, I just skip breakfast. Or I guess you could say cold brew coffee is my breakfast. Like I said, I drink my coffee black, but again, I'm not strict about this. Sometimes I put heavy cream or cashew milk in it, which may break my fast that day. Or maybe it won't. I don't know because I don't measure anything. Some people get really intense about their fasting period and they pee on ketone strips to measure whether or not they're in ketosis. That's great if it works for you. And by work, I mean if it's sustainable. But it's not for me. Counting and measuring anything too closely just isn't something I want to do, so I don't. One more point I want to make about my personal practice is that I've noticed a big difference in my hunger levels when I eat different things. For example, if I eat a dinner of roasted vegetables coated in extra virgin olive oil and a grass-fed beef patty, I won't be hungry at all when I wake up in the morning. But if I have a night where I'm out to dinner and I eat refined grains and sugar, so maybe pizza and ice cream, which would be rare, but sometimes it happens, I wake up feeling so hungry because consuming refined sugars and grains can cause certain hormones, like insulin and ghrelin, the hunger hormone, to go AWOL. 
So I'd say fasting has also been great for me because I've been able to pinpoint the effect different foods have on my body. That doesn't mean I never eat those foods. It just means I eat them more sparingly because I know they throw me out of whack. And I just don't feel as energized, focused, and all-around awesome when I eat them. All right, for the last part of this episode, I'm going to answer some of the Instagram questions I got. Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered ThriveMarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything, delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. As you may know, I always post a little question sticker on my Instagram stories when I'm preparing an interviewer script, and I love your interaction and feedback. If you don't already follow me on Instagram and want to, my account is simple. It's just at the health investment. Be sure to follow me so that you can participate in the next Q&A. So for the first Instagram question, does it matter when you exercise when you're fasting? I did a lot of research on the interwebs for this question, and the answer seems to be, it depends. Some people do very well exercising in the fasted state when they're intermittent fasting. During longer fasts, it's often not advisable to do hardcore exercise. Maybe lighter exercise, like a walk, could work during a longer fast. Back to Matson, the godfather of intermittent fasting. In the Bulletproof episode I mentioned, Matson said that he exercises at the end of his fasting window, before his first meal of the day. And he usually eats in a five to six hour window each day, which means he exercises after not eating for about 18 or 19 hours. So since he exercises in the fasted state and he's one of the top researchers on fasting, I think it's safe to say that it's okay to do this if it works for you. When it comes to weight loss and overall wellness, personalization is key. It's so important to listen to your body. If you exercise in the fasted state and feel like absolute crap, then probably don't do it. Try exercising after you've eaten, but possibly you didn't feel great when you exercised in the fasted state because you had a lot of refined grains and sugars for dinner, you know? So maybe you'd feel fine working out when you're in the fasted state if you ate a really healthy dinner of protein, healthy fats, and vegetables. I think it's just important to play around with things in order to see what works for you. And never feel like you have to do one thing forever because what works for you today may not work for you next week, next month, or next year. Just be sure to listen to the cues of your body. Another question on Instagram was, does it matter what time in the day you fast? One study, which I'll link in the show notes, suggests that eating earlier in the day is beneficial because skipping dinner may help to reduce your hunger level and not eating several hours before bed may improve nighttime glucose and sleep. So skipping dinner instead of skipping breakfast may be ideal. But here's the thing. That's way tougher to do, in my opinion. I enjoy dinner much more than I enjoy breakfast. 
And dinner often has a social component that goes along with it. Again, back to Matson. He skips breakfast, which makes me think that the benefits of fasting for a 12-plus hour window each day outweigh the time that window takes place. I think the most important piece is just giving your body that long window to switch from burning glycogen stores to burning fat and producing ketones. So if an overnight to morning fast is easiest for you, great. If an evening to overnight fast works best, that's probably even better. Whatever is most sustainable for you seems to be what you should do. Next question, how long do you have to fast for autophagy to set in? This question came from a very savvy Instagram follower because the person knew the word autophagy. Very impressive. I'll link a great article from healthline.com in the show notes if you want to learn more about autophagy, but the article defines it as the body's way of cleaning out damaged cells in order to regenerate newer, healthier cells. Auto means self and phagy means eat. So the literal meaning of autophagy is self-eating. Many experts agree that the autophagy process initiates in humans after longer fasting windows, so probably 18 or more hours. And the maximum benefits of autophagy may not occur until 48 or even 72 hours, which is why some people opt to do a longer fast one or two times a year to really clean out their cells. But like I said earlier, fasting for shorter stints on a regular basis also has awesome effects for your body. So don't get too caught up in this idea of needing to fast 18 or more hours to optimize autophagy. It certainly seems like that would be great to do every once in a while, but just regular shorter fasts are also beneficial. The final Instagram question I'll answer is... Does fasting include not drinking liquids, like water and coffee? I already kind of touched on this, but just to be clear, water, black coffee, plain tea, seltzer water, those are all okay. And some experts say it's fine to have things like bone broth or a little bit of heavy cream in your coffee if it's under 50 calories. But if you get a pumpkin spice latte or even a regular latte, it's probably going to throw you out of the fasted state. Even regular hot coffee with a lot of sugar and milk in it will probably throw you out of your fast. Again, my preference is black cold brew coffee because it tastes sweet and it's not bitter. It's a win-win in my opinion. And again, I'll post that recipe for my cold brew in the show notes in case you want to check it out. All right, this episode has been a doozy. It took me so long to research everything, but I was happy to do it, one, because I actually learned a lot, and two, I wanted to provide you with a one-stop shop for intermittent fasting in case you've been curious but also confused. The final notes I want to make are, first of all, some women have reported difficulties with fasting. I personally haven't experienced any negative side effects, but some women have lost their period, for example. One really important point to emphasize is that you've got to be sure that you're eating enough healthy fats, veggies, protein, etc. in your eating window so that you're really nourishing your body. Since I'm only eating in a window of 8 hours as opposed to, let's say, 12 hours, I'm always hyper aware of this, and I no longer fear fat. So maybe that's why it works so well for me. But again, 
If you're a woman who's interested in trying it out, pay very close attention to your body's signals. On the same note, fasting probably isn't for everyone. I haven't done any research about kids, teenagers, women who are pregnant or breastfeeding, but I'm assuming fasting is not advisable for those groups. Teenagers maybe, but I don't know about kids, pregnant women, and breastfeeding women. It's definitely important to speak to your doctor before instituting any new change, especially if you're in one of those groups. Another group fasting is not advisable for is those who have had a history of disordered eating habits. It's important to eat a lot of great nutrients during your eating window. So if you struggled with restricting and binging in the past, this may not be the best practice for you right now. But it could be in a few months or a year. You never know. So just always be open to adapting and trying new things. Finally, if you're interested in starting up your own intermittent fasting practice, know that you don't have to dive into the 16-8 pattern headfirst. If you're used to eating from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to sleep, so let's say that's a 15-hour window you're used to eating in, then you could try pushing breakfast back an hour for a week. Or maybe you eat dinner a bit earlier for a while. Then the next week, you could push breakfast back two hours. Just going all in on any new practice is usually not a good idea. As I tell my clients, slow, steady, simple changes really add up in the long run. So go easy on yourself. All right, that was a lot. And that's all I have for you today. Be sure to let me know what you thought of this episode and what you think of the Health Investment Podcast in general in an Apple Podcast review or an Instagram DM. I always love hearing from you. Thanks for listening. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.